Balancing Death Kirk is a weekly KeyForge podcast focused on competitive play. The podcast is hosted by Kita Mode and Kodamarin. The show is here for listeners to gain a better understanding of how to evaluate decks, how to evaluate their own board position, and how to anticipate opponents' decisions. Without further ado, here's this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Bouncing Death Quark. I am Kira Mode. I'm here with Kodamarin. How's it going? And today we're going to be talking about future-proofing your collection. So this is a little bit of a different episode. This is more on the competitive side of things. Um, but the uh, inspiration for this episode comes from having extra considerations that you have to make when you go to a vault tour or any other sort of event that qualifies your deck. Um, so in, in a normal tournament, like if you're going to go play a card game, you generally have two major considerations as far as what deck you should play. The first consideration is what deck gives you the best chance to win because you want to, you know, obviously win the event, you know, uh, get prizes, whatever. Um, and then the second consideration is you want to be notable. So in particular, if there's a meta where there's one dominant strategy, so in this case, like maybe Shadows, if you're the one guy in the top 16 not playing Shadows, you're immediately more relevant than anybody else in the top 16. So maybe that influences your decision. Um, and, and that's where things get a little bit different in Keyforge. Yeah, in Keyforge, there's this idea of qualifying a deck and also the fact that your decks can't change. They're kind of bound to, to at least to themselves, but kind of to you. When you do well in a tournament, you get a high power level. You get five, six, or seven, or eight for placing and winning in tournaments. And we don't really know as a community what that means as far as registering for tournaments later on, but we know at the very least that you're going to need a high power level deck to register for Worlds. So in Keyforge, you kind of have to consider, what deck do I bring to a tournament for thinking to the future? At, in, when Worlds comes around, when these tournaments come around, you'll have a pool of decks, and those are the ones that you've registered and played with at high-level tournaments. How are you going to build your pool of registered decks to have a better chance in those future tournaments today? Now, obviously, your pool of decks would have some level of diversity. Right, so if like let's say I'm able to go to four vault tours, I don't want to bring four racing decks. Right, I want to have like one racing deck for one, maybe a control deck for another one, a combo deck for another one. But the biggest thing is I want all of the decks to still be good. Right, I want to have a situation where whenever Worlds comes around or some other big tournament that requires a qualifying deck, I want to make sure that all of my options are still viable because I have a limited resource pool. Right, and that's really who this what this episode is directed towards. Like, if you are a player that is for sure going to go to higher level tournaments, or you think you may one day become a player that's going to go to a higher level tournament, but you're not, but you're you're strapped for resources. Either you don't want to spend a lot of money on this game, or you don't want to spend a lot of trips going to vault tours or whatever, and you know you only have so many opportunities to get a deck qualified. This is the episode for you to make sure you take this all into account. And I, I even want to extend this this sentiment to other players who, you know, don't have aspirations for going to Worlds, but maybe there's a vault tour in your local area. Maybe you show up, you do really well, and suddenly you place top 16. Now you might want to go to Worlds. Maybe you meet some cool people. This is a way to build a community, and um, I think it's important for everyone to at least consider this when they're... Uh, this is a strong episode to listen to if you're considering going to any tournament and trying to pick your deck because we're not just talking about this building of a pool we're actually going to talk about how to future proof your collection how to make sure that you have powerful decks that don't get uh, hurt by new sets new cards erratas changes this is very technical discussion 
Yeah, so um, we've laid it out into three basic considerations or questions you should ask your deck, and then we'll go over each one of them um, in terms of importance. So the first one is, is my deck subject to errata? Uh, the second question is, is my deck in an overly favorable meta? And then the third question is, will a better version of my deck exist in 6 to 12 months? Um, so let's lead off with the errata discussion. So right now, it's June of 2019. And if you're playing Keyforge in June of 2019, you are aware that we just got hit with a very big errata. Um, library access turned into a card that purges itself, and Bait and Switch got hit with a restriction on the number of times it steals. And mm -hmm. I know that there are a lot of people that are talking about this. Oh, there's a big errata that happened to the game. A lot of decks are different. Library access... Uh, Nepenthian Seed decks, uh, lands decks in particular, are very much weaker after this errata because now you can't play library access and recur it. And this really is, uh, I think, a very good example of uh, our first point. The errata to this, to this combo, people saw it coming. People knew that this was a problem, and whether or not people expected them to actually change it, it was definitely a standout in decks. It was winning tournaments and uh, and at least a candidate to be changed. Yeah, uh, something that's actually really strange within the Keyforge community specifically. So, I've played a lot of games, both card games and like uh, miniatures games, and I've played them with a lot of companies. And something that they all have in common is balance changes happen. Now, different companies do it different ways. Some might do a ban list, some might errata, some might do a restricted list, others might overhaul their rule structures. Um, but regardless, any game that has any hope of making it long term changes the cards in their card pool because they make mistakes and I've, I did find it a little weird that there's a lot of people complaining that an errata even happened at all in this game and and that, that to me was very kind of off-putting I'm like have you guys never played card games before? Yeah honestly uh, the, the, the reaction to the errata I'm sure that you know people who are upset or are louder about it in general. Personally, we talked about this. We're very happy with these arettas. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, it changes the dynamic of some decks, but on the whole, it makes the game more enjoyable to play. It makes uh, there there be fewer um, unfun moments with these two cards, and they were certainly the two largest standout offenders of of um, negative play experience. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, so um, everyone has their own philosophy as to how balance changes should happen, if at all, um, and how they should happen. Personally, I don't know how FFG decided on these things, but I would personally like to do toxicity as my barometer. So I wouldn't really balance for power, because whenever you try to you know fix one thing, the next thing just becomes the next most powerful thing. So like balancing for, for power only really works if something is by itself on a, like on a tier to its own. For the most part, if things aren't super imbalanced, like right now, like pre-errata, I don't feel like they were, you're not really solving anything. But what you can solve is you can take away cards that lead to really negative play experience. And like infinite library access feels terrible. It drives people away from the game and makes people very unhappy. Like I remember I went to a tournament uh, with, with my girlfriend who she's very good at the game, but she doesn't keep up with it as much in terms of combos and whatnot. She just kind of goes and like kills people with a racing deck on a weekly basis. And we went to a tournament, and then she got to see lands for the first time. And I mentioned it to her in passing, but she just kind of like waved it off. And then she saw it in person, and she's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And she didn't want to play anymore. 
And, like, that's really bad if something like that exists. Yeah, and honestly, to the people playing lands decks, I mean, you're playing the best deck. If I had one, if I had the opportunity to play one, I still want to win. I want to play it. It's not a hidden thing. And uh, if you listen to our banter session with Tyler the other uh, a couple episodes ago, you'll remember that this does go, uh, this doesn't go unheard. FFG mm-hmm. is aware. They do a lot of testing and a lot of thinking to make sure that these things are fixed. And, you know, we eventually get Narada. So talking about your pool going forward, this is one of the bigger things to consider. If you want to win a tournament, let's say you want to win Vault Tour Denver, um, then you could bring a lands deck. I think actually the lands deck lost in that tournament, but that's besides the point. Um, If you wanted to win a tournament, maybe you bring your best lands deck. But when you do that, you should at least be aware that, you know, this is a really strong deck. It could get errated. There could be something that changes fundamentally in one of my cards or in the game as a whole, or maybe with other sets. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But there could be something that makes my deck either invalid or much less powerful that happens. And, you know, maybe you want to win this tournament and then not play the deck again in a future tournament. That's your choice. But you should be aware of it. So on the topic of is my deck subject to errata, the way that you should approach this question is... You should look and see, first off, is there one card that could get errated that bombs your deck? I mean, if, if it's as simple as that, like let's say I have a deck that's built around Epic Quest. One change to Epic Quest, now your deck's dead, right? On the other hand, if if I have a deck that has Control of the Week, Control of the Week's just happens... Like if Control of the Week's just a good card in a good deck and errating it makes it weaker, that's fine. Like it doesn't kill the deck. I think that's actually a really good point. The bait-and-switch errata doesn't bomb any decks. It was a strong card that did a lot of great things and mm-hmm. very much warped the meta. But if I had a deck that was a racing deck or just a powerful control deck that had bait-and-switch, sure, I lost a very strong tool, but the deck's still probably good. It doesn't win on bait-and-switch alone. Yeah, so that, that'd be the first thing to think about. Is like, okay, does is there one card in my deck that if it gets hit, my deck's just a potato? Um, <laughs> and then the next thing is, okay, if there is one card that can get hit how likely is it to get hit because if you remember like we we mentioned our interview with tyler we asked tyler how do balance changes happen right both for himself and others now tyler has his way of doing things other designers have their way of doing things but the thing that tyler made clear is ffg as a whole when they make changes it's about critical mass right it has to be a combination of the card has to be doing well and people have to be complaining so like let's say i give you two decks right one deck, what makes it powerful is it has three copies of Control of the Week. Another deck, what makes it powerful is it has three copies of Nature's Call. I would argue that these are about even in terms of power levels for the cards. Those are both great decks. Yeah, but which one's more likely to get errated? It's easily the Control of the Week deck. Yeah, Control of the Week <laughs> no, deck. Because a lot more people complain about Control of the Week. Mm. Now, this might change. If, let's say, Bouncing Chota becomes the deck everyone and their mother's playing... Well, now maybe Nature's Call becomes the card that is more maybe Chota hit gets hit with the with the ban or the exactly. the errata, right? Now, and you can't and predict. Now, you can't exactly. really predict this. Or maybe what if I have a triple copy of Epic Quest deck? That deck's never getting errata because <laughs> no one cares about Epic Quest, right? So the, there has to be there has to be that critical mass. So you have to look at okay, one is my deck even possible to errata it out of existence, and then also if it is. How likely is it to happen? And honestly, the answer, 95, 99% of the time, is unlikely. 
right? We're mm-hmm. making a big deal about it because it's current news and it's something that we think is important to talk about on a very strong, very selective competitive level. The best stuff is going to be the stuff that's put under the microscope. Yeah. For chain bound tournaments, even probably most vault tours, once we start getting into like the really heavy like grand championships, most of these things aren't going to cause a lot of fire. So for those of you with decks with three control the weeks, you're you might be fine. The control of the week is a good card. We should keep an eye on it. I don't know. Yeah, what I would say is that if your deck has control of the week, your deck's probably still going to be good if they nerf it. If your deck is a Dominator, Bobble, Witch of the Eye, Control of the Week deck, you are much more subject to that nerf. Right. Anyway, yeah. that's, so, our, so that's, that's our spiel that, on errata. Yeah, that, that's the first point. It's just, okay, is your deck subject to errata? D- and if be, it is, maybe af- think about something different. Don't be afraid of it, but be aware of it. Right. Something you should be afraid of as well as aware of is the change in meta. And this Mm -hmm. is more relevant now that we have a second set. We have Age of Ascension, and um, now there's a lot of decks that may not be as strong now that there's a new card pool. Yeah, so a lot of times in card games, it's kind of hard to separate, is this card good because it's good, or is this card good because nothing interacts with it? And like a lot of players can't quite tell the difference and so what i would say is if you look at a deck ask yourself why is this deck good what does it do that's so powerful and then say okay if i were trying to beat my own deck how many cards are in the meta that can realistically answer my deck and if the answer to that is a lot your deck's probably just a bunch of good cards if the answer to that is like two then your deck is probably going to be in a more, more harsh meta in the future to, to kind of solidify this 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 example let's take a look at disanya just in mm-hmm. call of the archons right if you're looking at the call of the archons and you find a deck with a bunch of lab work maybe it's an actually let's take up a quest right yeah. let's say you have a very consistent multi uh lab work you have a hidden stash you have a, a ganymede archivist but a bunch of guys to archive cards and then you pop down your epic quest you're going to hit it every game in Call of the Archons, that is going to be very, very consistent. And the reason is, the only way to interact with the uh, your opponent's archive in Call of the Archons is Desanya. You look at yeah. your deck and you say, oh wow, my deck is strong because there are no answers. Fast forward to Age of Ascension. Now we actually have three cards, which is still a low number. But three cards being Tentadin, the big tree. There's mm-hmm. uh, the uncommon Shadows guy that grabs a random uh, archive card from your opponent. Yep. And you have Desanya. Still, not a ton of options, but now your super consistent epic deck quest got a little bit weaker. Exactly. What if in set three, the entire set is focused around archiving and messing with your opponent's archives? Suddenly, that deck that this epic quest deck that you may have registered for qualified for worlds now, suddenly in 2020 isn't looking so good. Now, on the other hand, let's say I give you a different deck. Let's say what makes your deck powerful is you have two copies of Ember Imp, you have a Restrangantis, you have three copies of Succubus, and you have like two Arises. And you say, what interacts with that? And the answer is everything. There's every board wipe hits that, every single small kill spell kills your guys, right? Like, you have so many ways. Also, you can just fight into it, right? You have a lot of ways in Call of the Archons to interact with that so- style but of deck. But it's still good. And it's still good. So then you would say, okay, this deck has legs, right? This deck is not in a favorable meta because there's a bunch of things I could theoretically do to hurt it. Whereas the deck that relies on archive, not a ton of things that you can do. Also, um, something that we discussed uh, a while ago is 
artifact control. There just isn't a lot in, in Cast of the Archons. So a lot of artifact-based decks look really, really good because there's nothing that deals with them. That might change. And there actually isn't that much artifact control in set two, but there's a little bit more. Maybe set and, three has even more than that. And artifacts, like, these decks can still be good. You can be in both camps, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to win a tournament right now, it is still important to look at today's meta. And that's kind of where we're trying to uh, highlight. The reason that this is important to talk about in Keyforge is that you can't change your deck. If we were talking about Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, L5R, any other card game, yeah. you play what's good right now against what you think you're going to see, and then tomorrow you change your deck, and then the next day you change your deck, and then another set comes out and you adapt. In Keyforge, yeah. you may not have that option. So you have to be, you know, just put a little bit more thought into it. Yeah, and, and exactly. And now look, if you only have one really good deck, and that deck's subject to a rata, or that deck has an overly favorable meta, well, you play it anyways, right? It's probably good, and you're going to win. You're going to get Amber Shards, and you'll buy a free chair. Exactly. Now, now this conversation <laughs> is more like, let's say you have a couple options. Maybe you have your best deck, but then your second and third best decks aren't that far behind your first deck. And then you say, okay, well, which one of these decks should I pick out of this handful? And the answer is the one that isn't subject to a rata, the one that is not in a super favorable meta right like when you ask those two questions it gets you closer to your deck choice and now that now that you're closer the last question you can ask yourself is okay my deck is good but could it be better could i find another version of this deck either now or in a future set that does all of the things that my deck does today better and i think i think you have a really good example of this deck uh you had that that uh it was a triad mm -hmm. tournament a survival tournament in denver yep yeah so this is admittedly the hardest one of these three to answer. Um, however, it's probably the least important, which is okay. Um, so when I was prepping for Denver, the deck that I was planning on taking is uh, the Thrall that Melts Copper. It is an amber control deck. And basically what that deck was in a nutshell is it has two copies of Doorstep, and then it has a whole bunch of stuff that makes your keys cost more. It has a Lash, it has three copies of Grabber Jammer, um, it has a like double Sequis, um, has double charrette with an arise like gross i can deck. just keep just taking your deck. amber mm. yeah like and then basically at, all it does is it captures your amber makes your keys cost more at some point you board wipe me you end up with like 16 amber and then i doorstep you and that's just how that deck operates now that deck's a good deck and that deck's very powerful against racing decks now the reason i decided not to play it in denver is i want to say like i don't know a month before the denver one they showed previews of age of ascension and I saw the preview for Grump Buggy. And my thought is, okay, Grump Buggy basically says all five cost dudes become Mermooks. So I'm like, okay, so instead of having a deck with three Grabber Jammers, I could have a deck with 12 Grabber Jammers. That sounds much better. So as long as they reprint Doorstep, I can have this exact same deck, only way better in set two. And maybe set three has more stuff. So that's one way you can do it is if you just see a preview for a card that immediately creates a circumstances for a better deck. You can do that. The other way you could do it is you could look at cards that are in your deck that aren't super common, hmm. right? So you could say if like if what makes my deck powerful is that I have two copies of a rare card, or I have multiple copies of a card that nothing else in the card pool is like. If that card just becomes common, now my deck's easier to work with. So like going back to the Desanya, Desanya, Desanya is a rare. Right, so if I have a deck that what makes it powerful is I have two copies of Desanya to make sure I can bomb archives, well, set two has Big Tree. 
BigTree's a common and a better <laughs> archive removal tool anyways. And you can easily get three of him. And where that's and relevant... And not sacrifice the rest, the quality of the rest of your deck. Exactly. So if I if I go on Decks of Keyforge and I say I want a deck with two copies of Desanya, I'm not going to get a ton of options, which means I'm not going to have as high of a chance of getting a good deck. On the other hand, if I look and say I want three copies of Big Tree, not only is that a better form of archive removal, I'm going to get more hits, which means I'm going to have a stronger overall deck. Right. And this is the kind of the crux of what we're trying to put out here is that you could always do better, right? Maybe you have a great thing and you're familiar with it. And I would honestly pick familiarity over better tools any day. But if you're trying to prepare for two years down the line, a year down the line, whatever it is, um, we have tools in the community. You can go on eBay. You can go on Decks of Keyforge. You may not have the deck that you want right now. It may be a popular deck. It may be something expensive. It may not be something you want to spend money on, right? You have to take these into consideration, and that's why we put it at the bottom of our list. We're not saying that you should always think that the grass is greener on the other side. You should play the decks. You should play the decks that you're comfortable with and the decks that you have. But if you think you could do a little bit better, then it doesn't hurt to uh, explore those options. Yeah, it, it's something that I, I very much think about when I'm doing this. So just to recap, if you're a player that is considering going to higher level tournaments and you, when you're deciding what deck you're going to play to qualify, here are the three considerations. Number one, is my deck subject to errata? Right? That is by far the biggest consideration. If, if you can easily identify how an errata can murder your deck, look at something else. Then the next one is, am I in an overly favorable meta? This isn't quite as important, but still something to think about, right? If, if like your deck just can't be interacted with right now, and one day it will be, maybe you think about something else. And then the last one is, do you have any indication that a just flat out better version of your deck's going to exist in four months? And if you do, maybe just wait four months to play the other deck if you have another deck that you could play instead for the tournament in question. Right. And that's that's really just kind of what we wanted to to go over here. And then our thoughts on the errata in general. And I, I kind of want to leave off with one final thought of if you don't think that these things apply to you, um, if you think you're either a beginner player that has uh, no chance of going to Worlds, or if you think you're an expert player and you think your deck pool is so deep that you don't need to consider these warnings, um, I would say to, to, to take a listen to this anyway and, and to, to take this to heart because if we all can consider these things, then maybe we'll actually end up with better erratas overall. Maybe we'll end up with less toxicity in the community. Maybe we'll end up with more well-rounded decks and better uh, meta games in the future. I think it'd be really cool if everyone had like three different decks and you kind of knew mm-hmm. what people would go in with. That would be a cool goal for the community. But that's that's a, a, a lofty wish for another day. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that wraps up this episode of Bouncing Death Quark. You can find us online. We are on Facebook and at Twitter. Our handle is at Death Quark. Uh, we also have merch. So we, you can look at our Discord. Uh, link is in both all of our social medias. And you can buy Bouncing Death Quark shirts, you can buy mugs, you can buy bags, like all sorts of cool stuff. And on top of that, if you want more content, Kodamron does a lot of streaming. Um, The streaming does a whole bunch of different things than we do on the podcast. And it's longer too, so you could just kind of fill in the hours to listen to us talk about Keyforge. So yeah, give Kodamron a look, tell your friends about our show, and we'll see you next time. Thanks a bunch.